Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today we have a guest from an organization. I was thinking about it this morning when I was riding my bike, and I and to describe Reputation Institute and all of their products and services, I use the word delicious. I am so thrilled that I have Kylie Wright Ford, the CEO of Reputation Institute, with us today. So welcome, Kylie. Good morning, Carol. Thank you so much for hosting me. I am delighted to be here. Well, I am thrilled. Um, I met Kylie at the recent Arthur Page Society meeting, um, which is the world's largest uh, membership organization of chief communications officers. And we met there and... Um, I was so excited because many of our clients over the years are um, subscribe to Reputation Institute and they take us periodically through their scores and we analyze the the information to see how we can enhance their work and reputation and purpose. And so um, there's a lot we're going to go through today and I know that Every single bit is going to be a delicious morsel for our listeners. So I always like to start with numbers. And so a little bit about Reputation Institute. And they are the global leader in reputation intelligence and data and actions. They measure um, more than 7,000 companies per year in 55 countries in over 20 different industries. And I believe in the last year, they um, created over 1.1 million ratings. So that's a lot of analysis. And so why don't we jump in? And Kylie, can you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to, um, to become the CEO of Reputation Institute? And then what is your role for RI? Certainly, I'd be glad to. Carol, I joined RI just over 15 months ago. So I'm relatively new to the company, although we have been around for 21 years. We just celebrated our 21st birthday in 2018. And uh, when I was first called by an executive search firm about the opportunity, there are a number of things that intrigued me. But granted, I had not actually come across the company, which is a different story altogether because of the the profile that we keep and the space that we play in. But there are a number of things that intrigue me about the company. First of all, the company's story. The founders intrigue me. There are four co-founders and they are still all involved in the business. I can't think of another story where that's the dynamic that exists. And we all work happily bringing our unique talents and experiences to the opportunities and challenges for our company that's in a thriving and very fast-moving environment. So I was intrigued by the story. 
The second thing was that I sensed that reputation was in the air and a bigger macro trend was afoot. So I started to research what companies play in the space and realized that this was the true market leader. I have a career rule for myself, which is working for market leading companies because I love how hard it is to innovate, but also how rewarding it is when you do a great job when you're the market leader. So that was really interesting to me. So finally, you always want to join somewhere where you think you can make an impact and the company needed a change agent and someone that cared deeply about culture as well as business success. So uh, those factors all intrigued me about RI and here I am. And what a wonderful place to be at this point in time where transparency afforded by social media and just a dynamic communications environment makes reputation absolutely critical for every single one of our listeners, no matter if they're a for-profit, a not-for-profit, or an association, or even individuals. So what is your, you've been there about 15 months now, so what is your vision for continuing to build on the fantastic products and services of RI? Oh, wow. There's so much underneath that question, but let me start with the high-level vision, (laughs) which is uh, my vision is to bring to life the power of our company by providing the global language of reputation. Our model is unrivaled. That's the RepTrack model, which I know we'll go into a little bit later, but it's unrivaled as the model for measuring how companies, cities, and leaders are perceived And so it's been rigorous enough to withstand 20 years of academic analysis and scrutiny by some of the biggest companies in the world. But it's simple enough, as you mentioned, to work with companies, nonprofits, academic institutions, and government organizations. And so I want to really bring it to life. We've been modestly doing our business for 20 years, yet we work with almost 500 of the world's largest and most prestigious companies. And so now I think it's our time to come out and really set the language of reputation and make a bigger opportunity for ourselves, but also a bigger impact on the world. So how do you define corporate? Let's focus on corporate here mostly in this discussion. On corporate reputation, why is reputation so important today? Very simply, how we think about corporate reputation is that it's an emotional bond that stakeholders have with a given company or entity. It's a reflection of how well a company has been able to keep the promises that they've made to their constituencies. And this is an interesting point because uh, if I'm at a dinner party or anywhere interacting with people and they ask me the difference between brand and reputation, the conversation turns very lively very quickly. And what I like to say is the brand (laughs) is your promise. Your reputation is going to be a reflection of whether you kept your promise. It's sometimes like looking in the mirror and seeing what you see, and that is your reputation. So there's a rational piece about reputation that defines how I think about the company, and then there's the emotional bonds that I have with it. And how has the the rational and the emotional changed in recent years? We're seeing so much about um, emotions, whether emotions in our government, whether it's CEO activism. It seems that there's a lot more of the yin and yang of a company's reputation and how it behaves today. There is, Carol. I mean, it couldn't be a more interesting time. And everybody's grappling with how to manage the change in demographics, the rise of technology, impact of social media, and the sheer speed at which things change right now. 
And reputation used to be uh, something that people thought about on a more individual level, for example, a, a leader reputation or something. And now people have realized that companies can have them and they can be measured. You're so right that CEO activism and movements have really changed the way companies need to think about how they engage with their audiences. And so the emotional and rational have become much, much harder to dissect in terms of companies having more data than ever, but not knowing how to move out the noise and get to the signal. And that's what we help them to do. The emotional piece of it has become more important than ever. The rational piece, which is talking about the financial performance and the products and services, et cetera, of a company will always be important. We never deny that they're an important factor in terms of businesses operating at an optimum pace, speed, and style. But certainly that emotional bond now uh, from the consumers is particularly important. Also, investors are increasingly caring about things like purpose, which is partly what we're here to talk about today. So the emotional is definitely on the rise. No, that, that's great. So let's talk about your major product, which is RepTrack. And if you can explain the seven components and the dimensions, and then once we begin to talk about that, I eventually want to talk about how you have a product called CR, Corporate Reputation RepTrack. So let's talk about like the mothership, and then we can go into the um, corporate responsibility product. Sure. So RepTrack is our core product, as you mentioned. And let me tell you a little bit about how it was developed and when and why. So first of all, one of the important things that many people don't know about our business, uh, because they often interact with us when there's a moment of crisis or the communications team is looking for a new way to measure and diagnose where their reputation is and then make action plans around it. Many people don't know that we were originally thought of as a business leadership dashboard. So our co-founders got together. They were both academics, one in uh, the business school and one in the communications arena. And they got together and they developed this business leadership dashboard called RetTrack. It was developed over a period of three years. It was the late 1990s. And our two founders, Dr. Case Van Riel and Dr. Charles Fombrum, and it was the first system of its kind to actually measure reputation. They saw an opportunity for companies to use reputation as a competitive advantage. So it had a very um, hardcore business element to it. And over time, we worked with communications teams to help them with the data that they needed to be successful. So at its core, it's made up of three components. One is your reputation as the emotional connection that people have with you. And when I say people here, I mean people in the informed general public, I mean investors, employees, and influencers who are an increasingly important part of the environment. There are seven dimensions you asked me about. So let me run through them very quickly, Carol. Um, they are products and services, innovation, workplace, which is about how much you care for your employees, fair rewards, et cetera. Governance, which is about being ethical, transparent. Citizenship, which is positive environmental and societal influence. Leadership, a very important aspect. People are looking for strong leaders who are well organized. And performance, which is about the profitability and the growth outlook. So they're the seven dimensions. And finally, a really important part of the model, which makes it actionable, is that the RepTrack model identifies supportive behaviors that people will take as a result of your reputation. 
very simply, people are more likely to buy from, work for, and invest in companies they like and have an emotional uh, connection with, which is what our reputation is. And you have in this model, there's a center part that you call feel, which is more of the emotional. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I love you got the rational, you've got the behavioral, but then you've got the feeling part. Lovely. So you're mentioning our pulse score. You mentioned in the outset, Carol, that we, we do score companies. And the reason that is important is not because of the score itself, but it's the ratings that all lead up to that to that score. That is, we work with companies, not just to measure them in a point in time, but to measure how they change over time and to help them prioritize activities against mm. the dimensions that matter the most to them. And so at the core of it, though, there's a pulse score. As you mentioned, it's about uh, whether you trust, esteem, and feel good about a certain company. And it's out of 100. And so companies take that score and then they drill down further to work out where they need to make up some ground and where they're strong. And sometimes they need to take more action and sometimes they need to communicate more. So we help them to work out which one is needed and, and when and where. Because like I said, the world is filled with plenty of data. What we're trying to do is synthesize that so that we have action plans that companies can use. Yeah, that's what I feel is brilliant about your model. And that's where I've sat actually in meetings with your colleagues and clients. And they've talked about each of the separate elements and then how they can enhance. They can tune it up. They can tune it down in terms of their actions. And so I love it. It goes far beyond data. Um, but I also know that that clients love to be on lists and they love to be higher than they've been before or higher than a competitor. And so you've had a long relationship with Forbes where you publish your annual global rep track 100. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And also everyone wants to know who's leading in 2019 and perhaps why? Absolutely. And you're right that everybody lo does love to be on lists. And we have been in that part of the business for a, a long period of time. And I feel so proud when I walk into organizations. And in fact, I walked into Barnes & Noble the other day who came at the top of our 2019 retailer list. And I was walking in there with my little girl who's eight years old. And um, I walked past the sign in the middle of the store that had their ranking as the number one retailer um, sourced by Reputation Institute. And I was so proud <laughs> I snapped great. a photo and showed my little girl to, uh, to showcase the work <laughs> that I great. do. Um, and so we have been in the business of providing guidance as to how companies rank. Our main purpose in doing that is for people to be aware that you can actually measure reputation and that it's valuable in that you can then see how you benchmark against other people within your industry or your geography, because increasingly in the war for talent, people are looking for great companies as guided by reputation. And so sometimes it's competitors that people are interested in. And sometimes, frankly, it's other uh, companies that are like-minded in their missions and that that is likely where they will get their talent from. We're talking about companies that are really highly ranked. Um, in 2019, Rolex was our highest ranked global company. Now, that was industry agnostic. That is a global ranking. Um, and it's been the most reputable company for the past four years. So uh, they should be very proud of, of where they stand. And it stands out as a company that stands for timeless excellence. 
um, it's expressed by the highest score for quality products, but also it associates with spokespeople who embody this tradition, people like Roger Federer, that are seen as having professional excellence, but also high reputation themselves. So that's Rolex. Um, other companies who consistently stand out are companies like Lego and Adidas, who are able to combine product excellence with being perceived as a, a great corporate citizen, which is hugely important. And then, you know, there's other companies that do very well within their industries. For example, Microsoft within the tech industry has managed to carve out a very nice reputation, even though the industry itself is relatively tough right now, given some of the challenges that they're overcoming. So they're the types of companies that have been more successful over the last year. So, so we love, we always like to ask about insights at the end, but I want to ask about insights throughout this. So the leaders who are constantly either at the top or consistently near the top, what are the top two or three things that they're doing that our listeners want to know about? Sure. So they're they're doing uh, many different things. So the top two or three are tough to pin down because every industry is different and every company has a different way of approaching this. But what I can say is that building the emotional connection is where a clear purpose becomes really useful. So you need to both do the right thing and say the right thing and responsible leadership is critical. Consistent communication is also critical. Being transparent is one thing, but consistently providing information to stakeholders about what you stand for, what you do, and why is really, really important. It's also important that, you know, you think about your stakeholders in terms of what they care about. And so the best companies are really programmatic about how they work out which stakeholders they're speaking to and which information to provide. If you're speaking to a local community that you would like to set up your company within, then it's a really different conversation than if you're trying to speak to a consumer on the other side of the world. So being nuanced about how you work with stakeholders is also a, a best practice. Um, I've heard from clients that they, you know, they are striving to enhance their scores or Pulse score. And if they reach five additional points that you have talked about a correlation between having a significant increase and an impact on the bottom line um, or increased revenues or stock price. Um, and I know that our listeners are going, okay, reputation's great, but it's a little amorphous. But I know that because of your academic background that you are trying to constantly gauge correlative data. So what can you share with us? It's a very important point and important to our positioning and, in fact, why we exist. I'll talk about our own purpose in a minute, but you're right that the Pulse scores are absolutely tied to business outcomes. So we have very strong findings around the link between reputation and behavioral intentions to support companies. That is to buy from, work for, and invest in, but also support in a time of crisis we work on both the upside for companies, that is opportunities that they can go after if they, for example, have low familiarity and people don't know about them, we can help them with that. But also on the downside, mitigating risks, because if you have a better reputation, you have a buffer in times of crisis. But we've also linked reputation to a number of company metrics. 
The most reputable companies on a stock exchange outperform the average market by a factor of two and a half times when it comes to valuation. That's pretty significant. Um, Highly reputable companies are also more credit worthy and they tend to get better credit ratings, which means cheaper credit. And we've seen that a a one point increase in this score that you speak of that we've been talking about yields a 2.1% change in market cap. So we work with many big publicly listed companies and that can translate into about a billion dollars of value. So it's really a, a big factor for us. We also find a a very direct correlation between reputation and impact in sales, let alone the workplace ramifications. We all know now that uh, there is so much to learn about companies and their workplace from different websites that you can go to. And the company reputation with future employees is very, very important. No, you know what I would love to see, and I don't know if you do it, is that we're, you know, we're hearing the number one consistent need from companies to have a stated purpose and to activate it is um, employee recruitment and retention. And do you have any data yet about the, you know, the cost to replace an employee, especially, especially a, you know, senior manager is expensive. And I don't know if you have done that drill down in terms of, um, reputation, actions, the emotional impact on employees and the retention issue? It's a good question. In fact, I uh, wrote a book in my time off uh, between my two roles, um, if you can call writing a book time off, I guess, uh, because it's quite an endeavor. And we did look into the cost of replacing employees there, and it was a staggering number. Um, once you think about the training, the onboarding, and the, the cultural impact of churn on the workplace. So definitely we have looked into that and it's significant. Importantly, though, uh, from the RepTrack perspective, actually workplaces as a factor or a dimension that was increasing or decreasing in importance went through a decline for a couple of years there and now it's back on the incline again. Just like you have alluded to, uh, it has purpose has come up as the number one topic on the minds of our clients in the annual study that we do of a couple of hundred of our clients. And indeed, workplace and talent retention is what comes out on top as a driver for them. So while workplace as a dimension um, moves around in terms of its importance in explaining a company's reputation, certainly in the minds of our clients and companies out there is the a driving force between them having a purpose and and doing good in the world, which is great to see. I certainly put my employees first and it's a big driver for me. And I'm glad to see that the world feels similarly. Um, And I'm thrilled that great minds think alike. Um, So why don't we use that as a bridge to talk about your CR rep track? Because I know in that product that you're focusing deeply on citizenship, governance and workplace. And so can you share with our listeners, you know, what is that product? What are you learning? And I'd love you to go deeper on, you know, why do you think purpose today is the number one, um, from what I'm hearing from you, um, issue that companies are seeking to crisply define and activate? In general, Carol, we see a really strong positive correlation between corporate responsibility and corporate reputation. That's logical and intuitive, but what's important out of our data is that companies that may not have a stellar reputation need to prioritize corporate responsibility more than ever. 
So companies, for example, that put a lot of emphasis on financial metrics and are seen to be all about making money need to really look deeper into what their responsibility in in the world is and how to approach that, but also how to communicate it. So companies are increasingly realizing that a big part of their success is not just on the quality of their products or their bottom line, but uh, employees and consumers are demanding them to make a positive difference to society at large. Of course, uh, the Business Roundtable Declaration in their letter recently about the importance of purpose is also a big factor for our clients. But what's often lacking, though, is the ability to measure and keep track of your performance on corporate responsibility. And increasingly, we're seeing more measures to be able to do that. So there's a lot of interest and pent-up demand for the types of things that we do. There's also an unmet need in the market to measure corporate brand purpose. And so we really set out on a mission to say there's seven dimensions in RepTrack. We give a holistic view of reputation. But underneath that, how do you tackle your corporate responsibility piece of that? Many people refer to ESG, which is a a certain subset of what we look at. But then increasingly, we're seeing need for a specific purpose measure. And so this pent-up demand is coming from all segments. In August alone, we saw more CEO changes than ever, and a lot of them were related to what we think of as corporate governance and corporate responsibility issues. And so all around us, whether it's the media, employees, consumers, everyone is demanding more of society at large and the corporations that are in it. And I know in your um, in your CR rep track that you say that the greatest um, is it the growth is in workplace dimensions. First of all is governance and citizenship are two of the dimensions that we talked about. And then there is workplace. And they're the three dimensions that are underneath corporate responsibility. Governance and citizenship have increased over time in their importance for predicting reputation. And after a few years of decline for workplace, we've seen this dimension gain in importance over the past few years as well. Clients tend to have the biggest opportunities in the domain of corporate responsibility. And given the unique importance of these, they're mostly where we see demand from our clients to develop strategies around. And there's so many things you can do both in taking action, but also communicating the good things that you do. One of the things, though, that I will say about that is uh, in a lot of haste by companies to go out and talk about what they're doing really well in the world, some companies are actually missing the point and potentially harming their reputation. That is, your corporate responsibility actions have to be true to both your brand and what you stand for. It can't be corporate responsibility for the sake of doing being seen to be doing good things. Yeah, purpose washing or evoke washing, as, as um, folks at Unilever have talked about, that um, you're saying that you have to be authentic in your actions. You just can't have a splashy advertising campaign or a special event. It needs to go deep. Correct, yeah. And companies that do that well, um, you know, for example, Danone, they both talk the talk and walk the walk, in our opinion. And uh, I, I think it's great to look to those type of companies. But it's also, um, I think, fair to say that companies that wrestle with it because they're not Patagonia or their uh, product and service is not necessarily one that lends itself easily to a natural line for consumers. I I say to them, 
you can absolutely do so much good in the world and it doesn't need to be consumer facing. Many big B2B companies are finding amazing ways to position themselves and to both talk and walk in the right way. And so it's a nuanced uh, subject that people really do need to get sort of strategies around and be really intentional. Great. And of course, all your work is going to help companies to be much more intentional. So towards that end, I, I, in our conversations, you said you're developing a new product. Um, it's, it's not available yet, but uh, you're calling it Purpose Track. So obviously, uh, my ears perked up on that. So I know you can't talk about it in totality, but can you give us a little bit of insight into what's going to be in this? What role is going to play again in up-leveling the both strategy and actions of companies related to their purpose? I'd be glad to. And uh, you're hearing it very early on here, Carol. So I'm glad that we can we can have this conversation. But as we discussed, like what companies and organizations stand for above and beyond their own financial interest is increasingly on the mind of both business leaders and consumers. Um, you know, we we hear out of Davos and by the business roundtable how important this is. And even when you see hedge fund managers like Larry Fink speaking about it, we know that this is a topic that is on the mind of everyone. So our, our global research shows that purpose is the number one most important topic for corporate communicators and CMOs as they try to manage and improve their reputation. So the challenge that company leaders are facing, though, is how to measure and purposeful sh- shareholders think they have an idea about who has good purpose, but there is no definitive measure for it. So we've decided to build that. We're actually in partnership with a company called Strawberry Frog, which is the world's first movement marketing, advertising, and design agency based in New York. Wonderful company. And we came together because they have been tracking movements for so long and seeing the impact that companies can have in the world. And we've been tracking companies for so long, and we understand how they work. And so we've come together. Uh, Purpose Track is the name of the model. The Purpose Power Index is what we will be releasing in November. And then we'll be launching it further at Davos with intimate conversations. So it's going to answer some questions, some critical questions. One is, how does your purpose resonate among stakeholders? The second is, how is your company's messaging around purpose? Is it clear? Does it align with the values of the audience and the goals? And what content and actions companies focus on? That's going to be super actionable and insightful. That's exciting. Um, And I know that we are going to be waiting with bated breath as many others are, because as you know, purpose is certainly uh, the practice, the strategy du jour, but really having, um, you know, measurement capabilities and drilling down into it's going to be fantastic. So Perhaps we'll have you back um, to talk about that specific specific product. Um, in in terms of another product, you also have CEO Rep Track, and we were fascinated to see how the visibility and the reputation of the CEO will also um, reflect into the company's reputation, and that in itself does have either positive or negative influence on the valuation of a company. <laughs> It certainly does. And the dynamics of political, social, and technological changes are impacting the roles of CEOs worldwide. It's a very uh, interesting 
a very challenging time, frankly, for the CEOs. And interestingly, um, our work usually ends up on the CEO's desk, even though we might be speaking daily with the corporate communications or the marketing or strategy teams. And so based on that, we decided to track CEOs over time and see what we could learn so that we could be more helpful to them. And so unsurprisingly, the CEO's reputation can impact that of the company and vice versa. So it's both an opportunity and a potential risk. Um, As I mentioned before, we've seen an unprecedented number of CEOs who have moved out of their roles or frankly been asked to move out of their roles. And what we find is there's a very strong correlation between CEO and corporate reputation and a 10-point lift for companies who choose to leverage their CEO and put them at the center of their communication strategy. 10 points on our Pulse score is a significant um, move. The message there, Carol, that I often say to companies is silence is golden, does not really apply as a rule anymore. So we encourage people to, to speak to their CEOs and get a strategy around them, of course. And there's uh, four different qualities that we found um, that the CEO's reputation is really comprised of. It's about leadership, so strong leadership, degree of influence, management skills, and ethical and responsible behavior. This last one, ethical and responsible behavior, has been shown to be the most important dimension statistically. Ah, uh, and and so what do you advise? This is fantastic. This is phenomenal and just very uh, fascinating information. And obviously, there have been a number of CEOs on, unfortunately, for WeWork um, and others that just have been, a, you know, a dramatic fall from leadership. Um, what do you suggest to a client when they have a humble CEO, a CEO that really is an effective leader, servant leader, et cetera, and they feel, no, I don't want to be out front. What sort of advice do you give them? Um, and, and where can they, uh, what can they discuss that's not about them per se, but maybe it's about their business or industry or a social issue? Well, the beautiful thing about the business that we're in is uh, that we work with many other companies. Um, you know, people have PR agents and so forth, and we're not in that business. What the business we're in is we can just shine a light on the data and provide insights on what the company is doing well and uh, where they need to make improvements. And so our advice is always around how do you leverage that kind of data to just be more thoughtful and intentional about what you speak about? Obviously, CEO activism and the the demands of on CEOs right now is at fever pitch. And so um, it changes company to company. But we use the data and we basically just have a very factual conversation around it, which is there's so much data out there. There's so many demands. We're bringing the signal from the noise. Here's what we see. Here's what we think is the opportunity. And here are a bunch of case studies that you can use to craft your own strategy. So it's a very like open and collaborative conversation. I mean, we're very clear about the fact that we're not in the PR or crisis world. We have wonderful companies that we partner with in that world. But what we can do is help them prioritize. Well, that's that's great. So perhaps we might be able to um, link in our show notes to some of those cases, because I'm sure our listeners are going to go, 
I, I agree with this. I agree. But what do I do next? Um, I'd like to switch to um, I know you wrote you've written a, a, a number of books, but you wrote a book called The Leadership Mind Switch. And you talk about leaders in the fourth industrial revolution. Um, what's your favorite part of that book? The favorite part is the back half, which is super practical. I had spent 15 years leading people and I was working with an executive coach as my co-author. She's a phenomenal executive coach. And the genesis of the book that we both observed that the technological and demographic changes that were going on in our workplaces were moving at warp speed and executives basically just couldn't keep up. So the uh, imagery around the mind switch is pretend you're walking into a room and you just flip the switch, it goes from dark to light. That is how fast we believe executives need to change the way that they think about the tech, tech impacts on their world. And so my favorite part about it is that it's super practical and it's chock full of little tidbits and data points that people can take into their office every day. And there's a lot of quotes. I've had the privilege of working with hundreds of uh, C-suite executives through my different roles. And I've also had the chance to meet many luminaries um, in my time as a result of the, the previous business that I was in. And so it has lots of quotes that I've loved along the way that people can use. And so it's really about like the, the backdrop is this fourth industrial revolution. And it's really about how do I go home on Friday and come back on Monday transformed in terms of how I think about engaging with my employees and transforming the business that I'm in. Because the life of a company, the average life of a company has dropped precipitously over the last 20 years. And we don't want to be in the basket of companies that didn't make it. So it's also about remaining relevant in a very opportunistic environment. I know that a parent is not supposed to say, I admire or I prefer one child over the next. Um, but I'd love to to call you out on, I know you talked about in the Global Rep track about Rolex and Danone. Um, are there just some other companies, uh, maybe surprising ones that we're not that well aware of, that you really admire for their um, adherence to authentic reputation building as well as their purpose? Certainly, there's so many. And uh, like I said, we work with around 500 companies around the world every day. And everyone's on a different part of the journey. In fact, uh, when we first start speaking with a company who'd like to uh, think about our, our measurements and our data and insights, we, we show them this journey that they're going to go on. And um, it's really the, the starting point for them. And most clients work with us for five plus years. Um, we've been around for 15 or more in our current stage. And Many have looked back and seen how they've moved along that journey. Um, so I'd like to mention two in particular that I admire. Um, one is Mars. Um, they focus on who they are. They honor their heritage while looking to the future. And they talk about building their reputation very visibly with action that is visible to the outside world. The reason I really like that is um, many times people are looking to communicate their way out of a situation. Uh, so I like that they focus on action. And their five principles, they seem very true to their five principles. They're data-driven, but they're also very human. And that's really important in a world of artificial intelligence. Companies that can keep that human touch do better and resonate more deeply with stakeholders. I also like in the tech sector, I like um, Cisco, who are very programmatic and thoughtful about their uh, 
their reputation and do very well on leadership, um, which is nice to see. Um, so I really like the way that they approach it. I'm very much drawn to companies that are proactive as opposed to reactive. And I'd say these two companies both strike me as as proactive and thoughtful about it. But there's so many more. Um, we work with some wonderful banking clients who are very thoughtful about it. And the banking sector has had many challenges, um, whether you're in the U.S. and, and have had all of the uh, factors that we know about post-2009 or in Australia, where we have a very strong presence. Um, and I think Commonwealth Bank has done a very, very nice job yeah, navigating a, a challenging environment uh, in Australia. So there are many companies, Carol, but they're just a few. How about is there a company that would surprise us? They could be really quiet or they're in an industry that you wouldn't think. They might be an industrial industry that you really admire. You say Pirelli. Okay. And uh, why that surprises me is not so much um, that they're a wonderful company um, because they are, um, but I, I really admire the way that the tire companies have garnered uh, sort of such passion from their audiences. And I think they're very committed to sustainability, and I really like to see that. And so, so they're one that stand out to me when you ask me what's surprising. Well, they take they take their products role very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, we're unfortunately getting uh, to the bottom of our show, and I've asked you for some insights along the way. But I would also like to ask you, um, what do you say to? We've got listeners who aren't working with you. They understand they're on a purpose journey. They want more data and information. So, what's the what should they be thinking about to really up their game in terms of? Um, intelligence uh, to help shape their purpose strategies and journeys? What I'd like to say in response to that, Carol, um, is one of the things I'm most passionate about in the work that we do is that I think we play an important role in uniting leadership teams around this idea of reputation. There are so many actions that they can take because there are so many different stakeholders that they're working towards. But imagine a world where you have a fully aligned management team at a company that knows what its purpose is, has an action plan for each of its dimensions, the ones that we've talked about, because uh, corporations are very complex beings, and they have an action plan per country. And so the data and insights that we like to bring to people is all of the granularity that you need to fulfill that ambition. So aligned management team around a strong purpose, understanding the levers underneath these seven dimensions that we talk about, and then having action plans on a geographic basis. That might sound like a tall order, but it's totally achievable. And so that's what gets me up in the morning. Um, We're in a time of history of enormous opportunity and challenge in the corporate world, but I couldn't be more optimistic at the same time circumspect about how we navigate it as a society. And our own purpose is to prove that doing and saying the right thing is a good investment. It's our life's work and we're really proud of it. And for companies that we don't currently work with, I'd say it's totally achievable. And the action items that you need to take are, first of all, get the data. Second of all, align the team around it. Third of all, have really clear action plans and strategies to prioritize because the world is noisy and there's much to be gained by 
chasing after the opportunities as well as mitigating the challenges that you have. Oh, that's perfect. That, that's that's great. Um, I know that that I've heard at various conferences and in other conversations that there's a question on people's minds: Is purpose the current shiny red ball and um, or object, and is it going to go away? And I, I mean, I have my own point of view, obviously, but I'm curious about your point of view. What's, you know, what's going to happen to the future of purpose? I don't believe it's going away. I don't believe it was too far out of range in the first place. Um, people have been talking about purpose for a very long time and buzzwords will come and go. But at its core, I think about the existential question we have in life. What is my calling? And we often think of that as an individual and so I think of purpose as the calling for the company, and I believe every company should have one. For some companies, companies, it's easier because they have a rich heritage and legacy. And I've really enjoyed listening to some of your podcasts, Carol. Um, I particularly enjoyed the REI and, well, thank and you. the Cola podcast on your, your show. And I think about that. They have a rich heritage and legacy. And so their calling might feel easier, but every company can have one. And it's really just to align the team around and to give your employees a reason to go, get up in the morning. Um, but this is not going away. As I said, technology changes and demographic changes have, are here to stay. And it's just going to move faster than ever, even if we change the name or the, the, the buzzword that we're talking about at the time. So I think you're on a good thing. Your podcast is safe forever. <laughs> and I hope my work continues to be safe forever. So in, in closing, this has been a fabulous conversation and you are so smart and articulate. And um, I hope that you're the founders of Reputation Institute know that they have um, a brilliant CEO at the at the helm. Um, are there any is there one or two or anything else you'd like to add before we have to say goodbye? Only that it's a fascinating time. There's much to be read and seen. And so, um, you know, it would be remiss of me not to make a nod back to my co-founders. All four of them are still in the business and we have a very strong relationship, but we literally wrote the book on reputation. So I would highly recommend that to your readers. It's uh, by Dr. Charles Bumbrum. And also, um, you know, our, our website has a, a lot of blogs and podcasts and sports movies to look at if you're thinking about reputation. Um, and so it's a wealth of knowledge. And so that's the only last thing I would say. Well, you've you've done an incredible, um, you know, service uh, to corporations and CEOs and purpose leaders, even countries and cities with this. It's not just data, but it's how to use it and insightful. And I love, um, Kylie, that you've talked about, you know, the global language of reputation and um, breaking the signal from the noise and your your profound comment about uniting leadership teams. I mean, I know that the work that we have done, when we go into a company and work with purpose, it, it becomes this incredible moment where they come together and they truly create the future together. So we are, as an industry, we are delighted and we are well served by having you in it. And by having Reputation Institute, I'm gonna invite you back for Purpose Track. And we're gonna put lots of links to this and we'll promote this because I think that more and more and more leaders or burgeoning leaders need to know about your great work. 
So I thank you for your time, Kylie Wright Ford, uh, CEO of Reputation Institute. It has been an absolute delight. It, As I said, it was a delicious opportunity, and I hope you're going to come back. Thank you, Carol. I'd be glad. I really appreciate it. Okay, great. Well, thank you. And I'd just like to ask our listeners again, we'll leave with the question today, what is your purpose? 